I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. This is the Real Lives Untold podcast with myself, Trina O'Connor. And myself, Sarah O'Connor. We are focusing on all things crime and human interest. We're creating a space for people to tell their stories, the raw, unedited version. Today we're joined by RTE's primetime security correspondent, Barry Cummins. Barry has been with RTE for 20 years this year, and it's also 20 years since he published his book, Missing, in which he examined the cases of missing women in the 90s and the disappearance of children in sinister circumstances. Barry has worked closely with the families of missing persons for years, and he's been emceeing the annual Missing Persons Day since 2013. He's adamant there are people still alive who have the answers, the missing jigsaw pieces. He's also extensively covered the Kinahan Hutch feud, the fall out the trials and recent developments well barry we were just saying trina weren't we that barry cummins is the ultimate in veteran reporter who really okay. i mean yeah. over 25 years as a reporter just over 25 years just <laughs> over just don't listen be, we're don't all be the same aging here now don't barry, be all the same and yeah. like you started out like me in local radio and you were also in the courts at one point as yeah, well i was yeah and what yeah. we really want to focus on is is your career, but also in terms of your your attachment, I suppose, and your work with families of missing persons. And that goes back two decades because your first book, Missing, was 20 years ago. And you're in RTE 20 years. And we'll talk yeah. about all of that. Yeah. But you're also from only down the road. So we might start there with you, yeah. Barry. Start local. So yeah. Start local. So tell us about that growing up near here. Yeah, I'm from Springfield in Tala, Dublin 24. And uh, I spent 18 years only in Tala, really, in that my world was Tala. And then after the Leaving Cert, I went off to college over in DCU. And that was my first kind of real travel outside of this area. Uh, So Tala was my world. And uh, I had a fantastic uh, years growing up and I mean you're, you're shaped by where you come from I'm definitely yeah. shaped by uh, all the people I met mm-hmm. uh, many people I still know all my experiences growing up in Tala uh, the schools I went to um, and I suppose the older I get and you're calling me a veteran I suppose I people I have do, referred to me as veteran as well yeah, it's all right when you get to veteran status you start <laughs> to think back on your on your earlier years so um, you do reflect a bit more, maybe. So I'm, I think I've always been grateful for for the experiences I've had. But I actually, I can see the older I get, I can see how they shaped me as well, mm-hmm. guided me in particular ways. But yeah, uh, Tala, I'm a local, yeah. local lad uh, when I'm out in Tala. And you still come back and visit? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I'd be around a lot, and um, and I know I suppose Springfield is the area I know best. Uh, I know Fetter, Karen, Killinard and Jobstown a little, mm-hmm. uh, not an awful lot. We, we didn't venture too far, uh, but uh, th- that general area played football in Butler Park uh, for Mark Celtic, which is between Fetter, Karen and Springfield. I went to St. Mark's primary school and secondary school. Mm-hmm. I did my leaving in 1992 and uh, I can still remember the leaving and all the study I did. I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I think at one stage I had an ambition to present the Late Late Show. Good for that you. Was, wow. That was, I don't know why, but that was, uh, that, that, that was where I, th- I thought I could see myself. And as life went on, I think I became a little bit more serious. And I wasn't, uh, I th- maybe thought I was a comedian growing up. And then <laughs> I, I just became a bit more serious. And somehow, even in the journalism I've done, mm-hmm. uh, I tend towards the 
the more serious reporting. The so stuff. I've become maybe as I've grown up, I've become a, maybe a little more serious. Mm-hmm. Well, I wouldn't say uh, not close the door on the Late Late Show yet. You never know what's going to happen. Absolutely. Never um, a few years time, yeah. So you did your leaving in 92. I did mine in 91. Um, and I'm just wondering, you grew up in Spring Springfield. Yeah. yeah. Was there experiences that you had there that moved you towards crime reporting and courts? Or, like, do you have any experiences when you were younger that may have influenced you that way? I have memories just of knowing things. And, um, I mean, I knew of the case. I would have been young, but I knew of the case of Garda Patrick Reynolds, who was shot dead in Tala mm-hmm. uh, in the early 80s. Mm. And then later on, fast forward many years and... I found myself reporting on the trial of a man who was charged with that murder, but was acquitted uh, by the special criminal court. Uh, so I, I w- would remember that case. I remember the case of a teenage girl who was murdered in Killinarden as well. And I, I suppose they stuck with me. You know, I was yeah. just a kid, but y- yeah. you'd be aware of what's going on or you'd hear people talking and you'd hear the adults talking. Um, but there was no specific crime that... that I suppose, affected me or affected anyone I, I knew directly that led me to where I am. Yeah. But th- those type of, of awful events, I, I have vivid memories of them, uh, yeah. knowing that something awful had happened and it was local to where I was from. But, uh, uh, yeah, so I, I, I would think of those cases. Yeah. So and then you went on to study journalism and yeah. then local radio. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, well, I went to DCU. I actually studied communication studies which is a little bit of everything in the sense yeah. that it's you study photography and film and television and, and loads of other bits and pieces uh, because you're maybe somewhat expressive and visual and um, y- you kind of see yourself in that field. Mm. Uh, so I learned a lot about media in that. Um, but I do think while it's great to study different things and maybe get your first uh, view of, of recording equipment and and that kind of thing. It was actually DCUFM was the first uh, radio I did. And I love radio still. Mm-hmm. Like I've worked in television 20 years now, but still radio is my first passion in, in yeah. broadcasting. Uh, and that's why I love just having a chat and, uh, yeah, and, I know. and kind of thinking back on things and just whatever you can visualize what you're trying to describe certain things. And, 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 and do I you think that. Barry, them kind of chats are the kind of things that help us kind of deal with some of the stuff that we we deal with and in the line in your line of work do you think them little chats kind of help you decompress and that kind of thing yeah i I think they do and it it can be a chat even on air you can be talking through something and you're kind of you're working through it yourself uh, and very often if you're sent to the scene of something and you're describing it you're 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 saying what you see uh, and maybe it's only afterwards you think about what you've actually seen yeah Yeah. Uh, you you describe it uh, and then you maybe reflect on it afterwards Mm. But I think talking is is uh, so important in so many different ways because uh, people help each other by not only talking but listening as well. Um, but yeah, DCUFM was my first place to uh, express myself in, in. It wasn't journalism; it was it was uh, uh, hosting a program of all sorts of things and just learning the cues and making mistakes. Yeah. Yeah. Now I went on to local radio. I made a few mistakes there as well. Uh, I first of all went to East Coast Radio and uh, did work experience there. And then from there, went down to Midlands Radio 3 in Tullamore. And I suppose that was the closest I could be to get the experience. Uh, there was no such experience in Dublin. There was no, yep. although there's local radio, mm-hmm. but 98 FM and FM 104 would have been Rock 104, I think, back then. Uh, was a different type of station where I, I was looking to uh, be a news reporter, I think. Now, maybe I didn't even know it at that stage, but that's what I was gearing towards. So I was down in Tullamore. I was going to the courts, been sent down there. And so I you're became doing a, a bit of reader. everything, yeah. well, which is fantastic. It started to become the serious end of things. Yeah. It was August 96. I went down to Tullamore and I ended up living there for a year. I'd come home at weekends, but... Um, you know, maybe it's it's just the way things were, but that was the month uh, Fiona Pender had just disappeared okay. in that month. And I arrived down to start my what was initially a work placement and then it became a job. Uh, but I found myself very quickly being sent down to the Garda station to see if there was any news and to do reports on this young woman who disappeared locally. So 
by chance it became one of the first stories that I did and all these years later it's become that area of missing people has become what I do a lot of but it maybe found me or I found it purely by chance uh, in in those first few weeks. So it was completely organic it's amazing that that's that was your first major story. Yeah it was and And a number of years later then you wrote that book missing. Yeah um, so that was 96 I wrote the book seven years later well six years later 2002 I wrote it and it came out in 03 and in that time I had actually gone down uh, to meet with Fiona's mum Josephine Uh, she was one of the people I interviewed for that book uh, so this was a book about uh, women who disappeared in Leinster in mm. the 1990s. Yeah. And I had initially pitched a different book to Gill and Macmillan Publishers, uh, which was about one murder case that was uh, ongoing at the Central Criminal Court and related to a woman who'd been missing uh, back in 1979. And her body was found a few weeks later. And all these years later... Uh, 23 years later, a man was uh, was going on trial, charged with murder, and he was later convicted of that murder. And I had pitched a book about that. And the publishers, uh, Fergal Tobin, uh, who passed away earlier this year, he was the publishing director, and he contacted me to say, I like your idea, but what do you think about a book about missing people? Mm. And uh, he said, I, I know this is an interest you have. And I said, I do. And off I went to research those cases even more um and one thing i have found down the years is that families of missing people are very vulnerable in many ways they need media they need the publicity of cases uh they need they need help Uh, so sometimes um if you knock on a door you you almost know that you might get a, a, a hearing at least where they listen to what you have to say if you're looking to do an interview. And you have to mind that very carefully because they're, they're putting their trust in you. Yeah. Uh, and they let you in to their home or wherever to do an interview. And that's what I found very early on uh, with families that they, um, they, they, they were grateful for the interest that I had. Um, but they also realized that I could help in yeah. terms of publicity yeah. and, um, and that I imagine, too, for the families, I think when you're missing somebody, news cycles move so quickly that yeah. people can fall off. And if somebody is taking an interest in their loved one, I think I think that's probably comforting to them as well, as you being useful, like you yeah. say. But I think it must be comforting for them to know that their loved one is not just being forgotten because it does move so quickly. Mm. And at that time, yeah. that vanishing triangle, there was so many um, that were linked to uh, missing, you know, there was six, I think, within a period of 18 months, wasn't there? Even though they weren't all linked. Yeah, so yeah. that had all unravelled at that yeah. stage. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it was, I suppose it's, it, I, w- I would have found in doing research that, and I'd be, I was a news reporter back back then in that I was doing daily news reports and there's only so much you can say in a news report and you might know a lot more, uh, you might have a lot more information and you can't get it all out and you can't talk faster. You can't speed yourself up to say, and I know this and I know this Mm. and hang on. And uh, you can only get so much information out. Uh, So one way to do it is to write a book or you can make a documentary or you can can do a podcast now. There's different ways to tell more of a story. Um, And I found that as I went on, I was building up more bits of information that I wanted to get out. And that's where the book came. came about that book I wrote uh, I started it in the middle of 2002 so I was about five six years a journalist at that stage I was working in Today FM um, as the courts reporter at that stage Um, and so I was doing my daily job which turned out to be kind of a a nine to five or a nine to six job at that stage and going home and writing the book in the evenings Um, and I've written other books since then but that book, for some reason, not that it wrote itself, but it was the easiest book to write yeah. because the, I had all the information built up. 
maybe course. I was younger, maybe I had more energy, but it, <laughs> I, I was able to get it out. I could type, type the quickly. And flowed, it was, yeah. yeah, it just, it was. But I think when you've got a connection to something, though, Barry, yeah. I yeah. think it doesn't, it, it's not hard work, is it? Like it did, the actual writing of a book no, like that. No. Because it was a passion project for you, yeah. I imagine, because you had built up relationships with these families as yeah. well and you yeah. wanted to do them justice, I think. Yeah, it was a lot of responsibility, mm, yeah, I suppose, to get it right. Yeah. Uh, and people have put their trust in you and your their faith in you and you're yeah. telling them, yeah, it's going to be published and you but I didn't know what the reaction would be. Yeah. Um and I was delighted with the reaction because at the end of it, what you want is people to read it or you want people to be uh, affected by it in the right way, uh, to generate yeah. debate and maybe educate people as yeah. well uh, and inform people about it. Yeah. So uh the book did well um which was the best yeah, and I wasn't shy about that, and that I wanted it to do mm. well for the families who had yeah. spoken to yeah. me uh, and with me. That it, it, um, but that that's the thing you don't know until it's actually published how how it's, how going, it's going to be, be what the reaction yeah. will be, yeah. and how can you tell us? You you had obviously built up this relationship with all of those families. Tell us what they were going through. Well, I I did my best to sum it up, but you can't. There's no words to sum up what a family goes through in that you have to live it to get it and I think only the families themselves understand what they each go through yeah. um, and it's torment yeah. and in one sense it doesn't matter if somebody is responsible for, for the person's disappearance or if the person themselves has just gone off mm. for whatever reason got on a bus and never seen again or gone for a walk and never seen again or you may not know the answer maybe there is somebody responsible uh, maybe there's a killer involved in the case or maybe not. Yeah. Um, and in one way, well, the circumstances are different in every case. But what the families go through, that not knowing where their loved one is, running through all the possibilities in their minds and they run through everything, uh, every type of scenario. And they look at it, sometimes if there is a, a case where there might be a, a killer involved, looking at people with suspicion. Yeah. And why wouldn't you? But mm -hmm. imagine that. Imagine not being able to trust in yeah. people. Yeah. Uh, and and in a number of, of those cases, people knew or there was a suspect or oh, yeah. a major person yeah. of interest. You and know, in, say in the cases of the missing women, um, there'd be three cases where I would say at this stage, uh, it's possible that uh, the same person might have been responsible, that it could have that they may have been random cases. Mm -hmm. uh, and then there were others that I'd say it's quite possible. No, that it might have been somebody who they knew individually, separate cases. Yeah. Uh, and that there was no uh, link to any other disappearance. Yeah. Uh, but still, in those cases, there were suspects. So there are people who are believed to be responsible for causing someone to disappear. And in Fiona Pender's case, uh, she was seven months pregnant mm -hmm. at that time. So uh, responsible for taking two lives yeah. and uh, hiding Fiona wherever, wherever she is. And yeah. th to try and think about that, the oh. mindset of somebody who not only would take a life, but then go that extra uh, element to hide a body and perhaps to lie to themselves and to lie to all their loved ones and to live with that lie. Mm. Um, it's I suppose a lot of people are fascinated by by what type of person could do that. And very often, I think you might find from the from the small number of cases that have been solved that the the people and their men, usually men, are what you might call relatively normal. Ordinary. Ordinary. But mm. then people will say, oh, there was always mm. something yes. about him. There was always a... a, a yeah, there was a queer. Something odd. There was something yeah. we yeah. knew. There but that's something. only after the... I yeah. know, the, after yeah. the fact. Yeah. But imagine, imagine for the families, like not knowing, like it's hard enough to lose a young person or anybody at any age, but a young pregnant daughter... Mm. Like that. Oh is, my God! Doesn't uh, how think how can you ever come to terms with that? I mean, yeah. I don't. I don't think people can. I don't they just think they do live with ever. it, don't they? Really? Yeah. Well, yeah. it's it, it, and every family is different, and even within a family, people will will deal yeah, with it in a different yeah. way. Uh, and I'm in awe of the strength of some of the people, um, and you might call it emotional strength, um, a dignity that they have mm. um, w when people like myself are pointing microphones at them and mm. looking for interviews mm. and um, knocking on their door unannounced sometimes that that the the, 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 the calmness with which they deal with 
that kind of intrusion as yeah. well. And it's even when you think about the photographs that so many of us have seen photographs of missing people. Yeah. And imagine they were once treasured private memories of somebody or private moments that somebody had. And even Fiona Pender, uh, there's photographs of her in London at Buckingham Palace and at different places on top of the bus in London going around that open top bus uh, being a tourist. Yeah. And imagine how that one day they became images of a yeah. missing person, a murdered person. Yeah, yeah. and we all we all look at them and 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 analyze yeah. them, and and yeah. they're no longer private. She's mm. no longer a private person because she's missing. She's in one sense has become public property, yeah. and that there's a big responsibility in in minding that. Yeah. I think. Yeah. and it must be so difficult when a number of the family members of the missing people have since passed away that you would have interviewed at the time, that must be very difficult. Yeah, and I, I've been thinking about that, that some of, say, Kira Breen, her mum Bernadette has mm -hmm. passed away. Fiona Pender's mum, Josephine, has passed away. Jojo Dollard's, uh, one of her sisters, Mary Phelan, has passed away. Uh, Fiona Sinnott in Wexford, a sister of hers, Caroline, uh, passed away as well. These were all people I met and interviewed. Um... And in one way, there's a responsibility on me and others who've met th these families to keep cases in the public mm -hmm. domain because uh, they spoke and they they spoke about their missing loved one. And so, to so keep you, that you're impacted there. and you've got that duty of care to them, like yeah. you're impacted by your relationship with them. So you do build up a relationship with them. Yeah, I don't know. For me, it's not that I can just go and meet somebody and then just move on and do the next thing. And I mean, I have done other stories and I, I do as much as I can. Um, but certainly the cases stay with me or meeting people, it, it stays with me. And uh, the the impact on them of, of losing a, lo a loved one, a missing person. And I'm sure in some cases that has impacted. There's no way to ever analyze this in a health perspective, but if a loved one goes missing uh, and you can people have described how how people change overnight that because their loved one is gone and I'm sure somehow that impacts on health as well. Yeah. Uh, so when natural health ailments come uh, down the line that maybe you're you're less able to fight to them fight or them deal off. with them. Yeah, um, but that's course. just me. Uh, I, I just think when you look at the number of families who've lost a loved one in that way, mm. um, that, that when something weighs so heavily on your heart, uh, that I'm sure there's heart, th there's literally heartbroken. Yeah. 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 And so a number in a number of those cases, as you know, well, Barry, they've been upgraded to murder cases, Jojo Dollard and, and then this year, Annie McCarrick. What do you think of those developments? I'm delighted that they're upgraded to murder because I think most of us have always believed I mean you might say we sure we know their murder but we mm -hmm. can't prove that mm -hmm. what the Gardaí have done is gone back over their files and come to a, a conclusion that uh, where they can rule out any other possibility any other logical uh, possibility they've always been treated with the same level of resources as murder cases but it comes to a point when you run into a brick wall when all the searches have come up empty nothing yeah. there and Gardaí move on to the next case. But what this now means, when something's upgraded to murder, what I think it means is they have to investigate it as if it happened yesterday. Yeah. They have to ultimately prepare a file for the coroner if there's going to be an inquest. Uh, and they, they have to assemble a, a team of detectives to investigate and to go back over things. And I think it is the case that if you reinvestigate something from 25 years ago, I know if I looked at myself 25 years yeah. ago, I see things I did wrong uh, and that I wouldn't do now or I do differently. Mm -hmm. And it's the same with Gardaí going back and looking at the way things were done back then. And you're applying the standards of today to the 90s. Yeah. But no harm. It was a different world. But uh, bringing in all the developments now, everything from smartphones mm -hmm. uh, to the fact that we have more media yeah. uh, than we did in the 90s. I mean, back back in the early 90s, the only broadcast media was RTE. Uh, it was before TV3. That came in 1998. Local radio came in the middle, uh, in the mid-90s. And that's how I got in yeah. uh, to what I'm doing now. But all of that um, 
has a, a didn't big think bearing. Of it like that. Yeah, that in when, terms of appeals. Like, yeah, it's, so it's say Annie so McCarrick effective. went missing in 1993, March 1993, and there were appeals, but appeals, some appeals on RTE, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, her loved ones were on the Late Late Show back then, uh, and some appeals in the newspapers, um, and on RTE radio. But that was if it, it happened today, yeah. there, there'd be so many other appeals or yeah. some social media, but yeah. all the mm-hmm. other media. Mm-hmm. And you might be able to reach the person because somebody, somebody always knows. knows. Somebody yeah. would be able to say, I saw that woman or I believe I saw mm-hmm. that woman or yeah. here's a suspect here that maybe yeah. you're not thinking of reaching more people. Yeah. yeah. And because there are people standard. alive today yeah. that have those answers, have those Absolutely. missing oh, yeah. pieces. Yeah. You know, yeah, there are. And mm-hmm. I just think when you have a case that's now reclassified or upgraded as murder it focuses a lot of minds Mm -hmm. and i think even with annie mccarrick's case going back to 1993 uh so uh that 30 years and there are still people alive today who yeah i'm i'm absolutely convinced have answers in some way in that case and it puts the pressure back where it needs to be which is on whoever is responsible but it also means the guardi now have have freedom to reinvestigate and be really thorough and well, they can get resources once yeah. it's upgraded yeah. Yeah. so so you um because of all this work that you've done you do um uh, missing person today you do yeah. can you tell us a little bit about that because what does that mean to you and what does it mean to the families and um, and when does it happen barry yeah it happens first wednesday of every december and i got into it in 2013 that was the first year uh, so alan shatter was the minister for justice back then and uh, he he attended that first day, uh, Missing Persons Day. I got into it, uh, got involved because the National Missing Persons Helpline, and I would have known many of the families, they nominated me as a possible compare on the day. So I was asked and I said, yep, yeah, delighted. I thought it was only for that, that one year. occasion. Yeah. But they asked me back <laughs> the next year and the next year and they're still asking me back. Over a decade later. Yeah, and it's it's grown. It's a fantastic day where families of missing people are invited to attend and it's all about them. It's about the families. And the Garda Commissioner is there and the Minister for Justice of the day as well uh, is there. And they the families benefit in so many ways from being there and i think yeah. it's like i was saying earlier that it's only the families understand each other yeah and it's such a i've been there i think it was once or maybe twice but i've never been in a room with that type of energy it's so sacred that space it's unbelievable yeah. isn't it yeah it the, is the poignancy and the yeah. sorrow and it's, it's very hard to describe but you can feel it physically yeah. it's, it's yeah. unbelievable it's that collective experience yeah. um like they've all experienced that trauma and it obviously affects them all differently, but it's still that one type of trauma. So yeah. when people have that shared yeah. experience, you will have that energy. Yeah. But I imagine there's a there's an uplift for people as well. Oh yeah. On yeah. that day. So how how does that happen, do you think? I think it's it's one of the ways is that it's many of the speakers on on each day are families who've lost a loved one. Um so it's different families, different years, uh, and it's not an easy thing to stand up in front of anybody and talk about your loved one who's missing. Um, most of it is done live, but some of them have been done as pre-recorded video segments uh, as as well. And I think it's that it's families talking to families. And like when I say I'm the compare, um, my role is to bring it from start to finish, but within that to to let it be as well yeah. um, and there's beautiful music uh, and there's input from musicians and uh, it, it's a, a, a special day yeah it really is but it has a practical outcome as well and that in the the year since 2013 to now a number of things have happened in Ireland in relation to missing persons that I'm convinced wouldn't have happened without that day and I think it's where uh, like I say, the minister and the Garda commissioner are there and uh, o- other people attend. And I think they get it when they see the families and they listen to cases and when the display of photographs is shown. And it's a very visual uh, thing where uh, over beautiful music, the images, the names sometimes or photographs of missing people are displayed on, on yeah. screen. And you see face after face after face. And... 
it's allowed me to be able to do research to be able to say sadly today there are over 850 people missing in Ireland I would never have known of that number when I started my research. Mm, yeah. And I mean, I'm at this 25 years and I'm always learning mm-hmm. in that you cannot be an expert on missing persons because there's always another case that you didn't know about or you didn't know the detail. Uh, and it's ever changing as well. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. One issue that I think has benefited from Missing Persons Day is an issue about unidentified bodies that we've been able to establish as years have gone on that there are a number of bodies of people buried throughout the country, never identified. And some of the cases have been solved because talk about the practical element Uh, The forensic scientists were there. They were invited to Missing Persons Day. They were there one day, uh, one December, and they were impacted by the day. But one of them quite rightly said to their colleagues, hang on, we have families all together here on one day. Mm. We now have the facility of a new DNA database. Why don't we invite the families to give their DNA if they would like to? And the families did want to. And there's a collective, because it's an emotional thing, if you can imagine you're giving, like I've given my DNA because I've gone to visit the forensic science lab before and it's a a swab inside your mouth and Mm. it's not too invasive and it's in, it's done and it's, that's it. And the same thing would happen for a family of a missing person. Same thing, same, same thing in swab and given. But if you think about what it means, it's the the emotion within that, that you're giving something that maybe one day, might lead to a knock on the door to say we have actually found your loved one. Yeah, that it's so they've be, the families have done it as a collective in a sense. Yeah, uh, on that day, uh, the strength of of yeah. doing it together. Yeah, to try you, and ease their pain. And you've gone first. Individual. I'll go next. Yeah. and yeah. have a and chat they supported about it. each yeah. other. And, and if you, and you may remember, sorry, sorry Sarah, you may remember um, a couple of years ago on uh, Britain's Got Talent, they had the. Missing Persons Choir. Do you remember mm. that? Mm. Did you ever link up with them? Because they found quite a few people through that choir. Um, do you remember that, Sarah, the Missing Persons Choir? Yeah, vaguely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And they and they got loads of publicity because of mm. Britain's Got Talent. Yeah. Mm. And yeah. they did find some people. Have you ever linked up with them? No, but I think there's, there's greater links now in the last couple of years with Britain because yeah. of the growing realisation that especially with unidentified bodies that a number of people have entered the water in Dublin yeah. for whatever reason and they've travelled across the Irish Sea to Blackpool or to Anglesey to Hollyhead or even down as far as Cornwall yeah. That and the same uh, tides can move in the other yeah. direction as well so there's a, more of a realisation of matching up plus we have a, a number of Irish people missing long term missing in England yes that's right and yeah. There are cases, especially of men who maybe went to London, fell on hard times and for whatever reason didn't come home and never heard of again. Uh, And those kind of cases are out there. Um, And then just because we're in a world now where within an hour you can get to London anyway on on a flight, that uh, there's greater cooperation between between the support groups. But I think the, the choir was a fantastic way of getting 
publicity, but also there's there's a strength within that and that hmm. I mean music it's cathartic. is cathartic. Yeah. Music yeah, brings so, something yeah. uh to the surface yeah. and a collective um yeah. empowerment of people as well. So And there's an honouring and a remembrance of people yeah. Yeah. in 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 a very powerful way that is cathartic, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's a real testament to your work that you're still a big part of that, Barry. Yeah, um I'm I'm very happy to be. Um but the day is the day will will continue um no matter who's involved and that the families uh want that day and it'll it, it goes i suppose you could say from strength to strength because i mentioned over 850 families of missing people certainly every year more families are are coming to this event mm. it started off in farmley beautiful setting in in farmley but it happened that as years went on more people wanted to come than there was space so then it had to go to king's inns uh, for a bigger space another lovely setting um and now it's at croke park at wow. the uh in, in the event center in croke park uh which is i think a lovely setting because you you get to see the pitch yeah. and yeah. uh maybe feel that it's an all island uh gathering event. of people yeah. as well yeah. um but that it on a practical level it's a it's a big room yeah. and that's what you need you need a big space um for people uh to gather and it it allows musicians in as well uh, so yeah, it's, it's sadly because of the numbers, it's growing and growing, um, and some cases are being solved, but sadly more and more people are going missing. And before we move on to your next major uh, reporting topics, we might just talk about the impact it has on you, or has had on you over the last twenty years covering yeah those um, cases. I think about the people who've passed away, uh, who I've interviewed. Uh, I, I have vivid memories of sitting down with them and taking notes and I was recording interviews, but I was also scribbling notes as well. Um, and I still have all those notes and sometimes I look back over them. Um, I would yearn for the day when some cases are solved. Um, the missing book was the first book I wrote and I'd love if even one of those cases had been solved. Yeah. I think what I did do at least was bring more information into the public domain. And it, it did lead to some new leads in some of the cases. Uh, but ultimately, it hasn't led to any case being solved. Uh, so I, I would feel sad about that, that that hasn't happened. Um, and cases do stay with me. Um, and I, th I think in writing the books, uh, it's uh, had a, a an impact as well, but even working through COVID as well, like uh, it, yeah. difficult things. Um, say we're gathered in a room now, and no masks, yeah, or whatever. But I I can remember working in COVID where I had to stand in a garden, and I was interviewing a woman who'd lost her husband through COVID, and all you'd want to do was offer your hand, shake shake her hand. Yeah. Or, or, or sit down with her for a while or hug her like yeah. you know and it's, it's so unnatural I had to stay awful. way back yeah. and you're talking about something so so awful yeah. that's that's happened yeah. to her yeah. and we did it we did the interview she wanted to do it she understood and I was driving back to Dublin afterwards thinking this is this is just awful. Are we ever going know? to are we ever yeah. going to get back to yeah. Hogan and yeah. I so mean, it does I suppose yeah. some of the cases I've I've reported on do affect me, but it's never stopped me doing my job. Yeah. Um and I'll keep doing it. Well it makes you better at your job too. I think yeah, it does. And, and but it, it there's an onus to get it right, uh, or if you get it wrong, to admit you've got it wrong and yeah. do better next time. Um but there's nothing else I want to do mm. uh, that I've, I have actually got over the late, late show. I don't want to do oh, that. I don't know. So you say, Barry, I don't know. so you say. You, you heard it here first. <laughs> no. In a few years' time. No. No. We'll be playing time. this over on loop yeah. now, Barry. <laughs> I, no, I, I think I'm too serious, but I, no. I think I want to keep doing the type of stories that I have done. Because uh, they're important. They are important. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, they like anybody else, they do affect me, mm. uh, but not when I'm reporting on them. I get, I suppose, get the report done and dwell upon it maybe later yeah. that evening yeah. or over the weekend. But it's never stopped me in the moment. And I've done a lot of live reporting yeah. uh, where you might be, you know, you're doing a report and maybe to keep yourself together. Yeah, you might be squeezing your hand to say, you know, keep it together. You have to. 
because the story is more important. I know that. But you are, you're, yeah. you're kind of mm. squeezing your hand thinking, keep it together. Yeah, and, you're, and yourself and Sarah would have a lot. Oh you can really goodness. relate to that. Because uh, you covered some, oh, some horrendous stories. And, and a lot of crimes. But one of the stories that sticks out for me is when I was in UTV Ireland, and I was only in television at that stage a little while, but they sent me over to Berkeley mm. uh, in California where those students died. Mm. And I'll just never forget standing there a few days later and where they would have died. And I just never forget. I remember Stephen Murphy was there from from TV3 at the time and Samantha mm. was there for RTE. Yeah. And just and, and as a reporter, you're very aware of uh, trying to keep it together, trying to hold it together. But I remember the families had just arrived and the grief, the mm. raw grief can be really and you just need yeah. to take a moment. And yeah. oh, yeah, I, I, that probably for me was the most difficult, I have to say. Yeah, now. I've yeah. read um, I've read uh, some of the books about reporting the troubles mm. and I've no doubt uh, I've only kind of fleetingly reported on cases in and around the troubles. Uh, but. Uh, I've no doubt about the, the what some of the journalists and photographers uh, had to uh, endure in terms yeah. of reporting through the 70s and the 80s and the 90s. But actually, beyond the troubles, any type of traumatic reporting yeah. uh, has has a big impact yeah. on yeah. on anybody who's doing it. Yeah. Yeah. And it, in a sense, you can go into autopilot to do it because the job you have to report it mm. ha- because it's more important that people know. Uh, they don't necessarily need to know how you feel about no, it. They no, need to know no, the information. Yeah. But you can't be robotic either. In that no. that's, you that's, get it done, but yeah. then it... You, and I think it resonates more if they know you're feeling it yeah. as well. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and whenever whenever I see you reporting, it's always very authentic. So you're not desensitised. No. You're, in my view, anyway. And, and recently you would have covered like the Kinnan Hutch feud and we had a lot of trauma there in very short periods of time yeah um was there anything in that that maybe stuck out for you how did you feel when you were reporting on that barry um well i think every victim uh deserves uh, an airing and a hearing um but even within that feud a number of people were killed who had nothing to do with the feud and there's the awful a sad case of Trevor O'Neill, a man on holidays in Mallorca. Awful, that's right. And you could say wrong place, wrong time. um, And uh, he is shot um, in front of his family. In front of his children, yeah. And I suppose in one way, I still think about that case because it's not solved. Yeah. And with with that particular feud, a number of people have been brought to justice for different things. Uh, A number of crimes have been solved. A number of murders have been solved. Or certainly some people held to account for their parts for of some of the killings. Yeah. Um, but that's one case where no nobody's been held to account. And it, it does it actually annoys me that, yeah. that that's the me, way it me is. Me too, I tell yeah. you. Yeah. Just as 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 a citizen of this country looking at that, mm. uh, I would celebrate that all the other efforts that have gone on. Yeah. And I've seen how the Spanish police have have operated in other cases as well. But for some reason in that case, so far nobody's been brought to justice. And it's not for want of trying by the Guardi or by La Guardia Civil or Policia Nacional or, or whoever. But they just but disappeared. Still, yeah, yeah, but still, whoever was responsible for that one killing, and I would focus on that, that's August 2016 when that happened. Mallorca, uh, wasn't it? In Mallorca. Yeah. And still uh, nobody held to account. And it's although it's in Mallorca, it's an Irish victim. And Irish criminals responsible for it, uh, members yeah. of the the Kinahan organized crime gang, responsible for that murder, and despite yeah. all the other uh, great things that have happened in in catching people for crimes, that w- there's something about that case that do, I just think yeah, until that until until something happens there. Um, I won't rest on that one. Do, do you know what I think it is for me anyway, Barry? I don't know. I just think it was because he was an ordinary man, a family man, a walking man. He worked for Dublin City Council as far yeah, as I remember. Right. And he would have been like any of us, working all year, Saving getting the, the money together to bring the children on holidays. He did nothing wrong. Yeah. And it complete it's innocent. Horrendous. And I yeah. think but I think that's why it really it relates to me when you look at young families going on holidays in, in, in the August. Yeah. Walking all year to do that. And for his family to witness that, I mean, yeah. how would they ever come to terms with that? Yeah, there are they other cases wouldn't. I go back to, like, 
Bible Salite was murdered. Oh, oh yes. my God. Uh, yeah, going back goodness. to 2006. And, yeah. and uh, uh, I, I would have reported on a number of cases in, say, the noughties of murders that had happened. And for some reason, I was, I was uh, dispatched to different crime scenes, murder scenes. Yeah. And it's only now I'm looking back and saying most of those were never solved. The killers got away. And uh, I didn't really focus on that back then. I was reporting what had happened yeah. rather than what should happen, which is what should happen is people are held to account for it as well. Yeah. You can't undo it, but you can make it, I don't say make it right, but you can, you can ease a family suffering somehow by saying, well, at least we've got whoever did it. And, and even more so when they know. Yeah. When they have a good idea of who, who who's responsible, yeah. that must yeah. be must really add to it. I think one thing that keeps me doing what I'm doing, and I, I'm not great at the maths in this, uh, but statistically, and you, so you might, there's an argument that more murders are solved now uh, than are unsolved in mm-hmm. terms of right now. But if you add in 1980s, 1990s, 2000s, the noughties, uh, all of those decades, actually no more more murders are unsolved than are solved if you add in all the ones where the killers may still be out there and you're talking hundreds hundreds of murders equals hundreds of killers uh all out there and who've got away with it and can we talk about just in relation to the kinnan hutch feud and the aftermath and the fallout and where it is now there's been recent developments obviously liam byrne has been arrested uh, in majorca um, and in terms of, I suppose, the Kinnahans, the net is definitely closing in on them. Are you are you off to Iran or Dubai soon? Are they in Sudan? Isn't there talk of them being in Sudan? It's talking so in different so places. Yeah. Yeah. I, there for you. Yeah. I, <laughs> I can say I'm not off anywhere right now, but um, I think it's no surprise that the net is tightening on people who have been... Uh, the focus of a lot of attention. The world is a much smaller place now. Um, I think we know the Americans went public in a really big way last year in mm-hmm. Dublin to say that they were focusing on the leaders of the Kinahan gang and they named certain people that they were looking for. But what happened when you mentioned Liam Byrne, I think what's really interesting there is that uh, it's the UK authorities who want Liam Byrne. Yeah. So while the Americans are quite outwardly saying what they're doing, um, the National Crime Agency were also in Dublin uh, representing the UK at that time, but maybe you might say a little more quietly doing what they're doing. Yeah. And then lo and behold, they swoop and they uh, they ask the Spanish to arrest Liam Byrne and seeking his extradition. That it's many different police forces yeah. and the Gardaí are right up there involved in all of that, uh, that it's the Gardaí who organized that press conference last year. They know what's going on in the UK, in the States. Uh, they're in the Middle East. They're they're talking to different countries, and the Spanish as well, and yeah. the Dutch, and other countries as well. That there's a lot happening. It doesn't happen at the pace maybe that most people would want it to happen, in terms of seeing results. But so uh, much going on. So much going on behind the scenes, uh, and I think before this year is out, I I would imagine a lot more will happen as well. So I may be traveling somewhere. Oh, mm. interesting. And just to finish up, yeah. I suppose, thanks a million, Barry, for coming in. So what's the next project? What are you working on? Um, I, I'm looking at cold cases oh. because I think it's bringing together the new sciences, looking at all the different developments in science and looking at all the cold cases, all the unsolved murders and saying, right, where are there cases that might benefit from publicity? Uh, that might where maybe something is going on with with forensics uh, to see are there cases that that uh, answers could be found and so it's there's no one project it's just it's a general uh, interest I have that there are murders for say from the 1990s or the 2000s that I mentioned uh, where I think maybe there's new generations younger generations of adults and some of them might look at you blankly if you mention a particular case that I think. Sure, did you ever? Did you not hear of whatever case? And they say, "What yeah. are you talking about?" Yeah. And I actually think, well, that's fair enough. It's up to people like me to bring these cases back into the public domain to re-remember people in a sense, yep. uh, so that the younger generations, because th- it's the young adults are going to be the guardie of tomorrow and the forensic scientists of tomorrow, mm. and 
uh, I want them to maybe know of particular cases, have them maybe particular names in their head when they're they'll be in the positions of power someday. Absolutely. And what a nice position you're in to be able to work on all yeah. that long form stuff that you really want to work on. Yeah, yeah I, I think I'm lucky in many ways. Uh, working in RTE, I've seen the benefits of the archive system as well in that yeah. there's an awful lot of wealth of material uh, which can help me to do television reports, but also uh, can inform about the, t the type of world Ireland was in the 80s and the 90s. It's such a different world is, in many yeah. ways. Uh, and the archive there shows uh, and you can see how things were done. And uh, maybe you say, well, how maybe you, you might think they should have been done, but there'll be people looking at us in years to come thinking, exactly. you know, they exactly. should have done things a different yeah. way as well. Yeah. That, yeah. you know, none of us are experts, no, so, but we can. No. We're, we're but, always but, learning, aren't we? Always. It's lifelong learning. Yeah. Um, Barry, we, we're just so honoured to have you here. And I, I, I love that you describe yourself as a serious person, but actually I'm, I'm sure does some lighthearted stuff. So what kind of stuff do you do to, you know, bring yourself out of the really serious work. Do you have any hobbies or um, I've, are you a golfer? Or? I'm not a golfer, no. no. <laughs> I'm not a golfer. Um, I exercise, jog. Um, I was actually quite effective when poor Christy Dignam passed away yeah. because oh, one of the things yeah. that I would have done is I would have listened to his music. Yeah, poet, um, an and, absolute poet. Yeah, and mm. that kind of music would have, if I was having, a say, a tough day, and heading home afterwards, I'd st stick on Aslan and yeah. that kind of music. I mean, there's yeah. other bands as yeah. well, but yeah. but uh, it would kind of take you to a a good place. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, no, I I'd, I'd listen to listen to music, listen to some podcasts as well. <laughs> uh, there's different forms of escapism. Yeah, uh, to uh, to to maybe move away, and I also move away from the phone a bit as well. Oh, that's so important. Yeah, so when you're, and so yeah, hard. When you're so contactable, sometimes you just have to put it on silent for Yeah, But for when a you're passionate the way you are as well, I imagine that's a difficult thing for you to do because yeah. when you've got a connection. Put it on silent and then you're looking at it every now and then. <laughs> I but know. No, turn it turn upside the light down. on and yeah. like you train yeah. it on. Yeah. Let yeah. it go. But I suppose you ha have to find a way to, to just get away yeah. from it all yeah. even if it's for a few hours yeah. or a little longer yeah. but to refresh to be able to do it again yeah. yeah don't they say you have to put your oxygen mask on first mm. yeah absolutely. exactly absolutely well, thank you. what a pleasure Thanks a million Barry. thank you very that much was brilliant. thank you thank you you can contact us on social media at Real Lives Untold. Our email address is reallivesuntold at gmail.com and don't forget to subscribe to hear this season's episodes every Wednesday. You can listen on Apple, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.